Hey there, podcast listeners. Um, a little bit of an apology going into today's show. There was some kind of a problem with our recording, and we lost the, uh, the first segment of the show in which we were discussing Wind Resort's potential move uh, the headquarters to China. So uh, I'm sorry to say that, that you won't be able to hear that part of the show, um, but uh, hopefully you can enjoy the rest of the show. So here is the Vegas gang for uh, the first week of May 2010. Um, guests today on the show are Jeff Simpson, Dr. Dave Schwartz, and sitting in for the vacationing Chuck Monster, we have Mike E., writer at Vegas Tripping. Here we go. talked about uh, in the win organization was as part of this encore um, sort of the, the normal press that comes with opening of a property they talked a little bit about Kotai and um, wind's plans there and they didn't really uh, illuminate much beyond what they've already said which is um, and he, he actually elaborated a little bit yesterday he talked about again saying he wanted to build the world's most luxurious hotel and one of the things he said was uh, emphasized yesterday that I thought was interesting was setbacks and basically saying, uh, you know, what you don't have on the peninsula or, you know, in much of China um, is is setbacks, is basically, uh, you know, that even even many of the hotels that are, have been built on Kotai are right up against the street. Uh, and so he's talking about, um, you know, not doing that, I guess, uh, building for, a, for what sounds like a pretty big parcel, a pretty small hotel. Um, and, uh, they talked about, I think 20, I think the wall street journal story said 2013, but yesterday he said 2014 for an opening date, assuming they're allowed to move forward. But yeah, it's, it's interesting to see, uh, that they are full steam ahead with the Kotai thing. Um, I, you know, I haven't been following the, the Macau numbers very closely. Maybe, and maybe one of you guys know, how is Kotai doing compared to the peninsula? Is it? really drawing people in? I mean, the Venetian and the City of Dreams complex versus, uh, you know, the the other place on the fairly well-established, uh, you know, downtown kind of area. Does anybody know? Well, in terms of percentage of the market, it's still um, pretty well behind the peninsula. But in terms of long-term, when, when Sands opens its remaining two um, casino properties, there's more on the way. Um, when Wynn opens, I think that you will eventually see, you know, Sheldon Adelson's, um, com, you know, analogy is that's the strip compared to downtown. Um, obviously, right. that's not quite accurate because you've seen, you know, multi, multi-billion dollar investment on the peninsula very recently, including the opening just this week of Encore, not to mention MGM, the, the you know, Stanley has um, new new property. So, you know, it's it, that's not really a fair comparison, but I think you will soon get to a point where the peninsula is overtaken or at least tied by um Kotai. But you know, you have two nice places. Um the the thing about Kotai is 
that I think is interesting. Yeah, they're saying it's only one hotel. And, you know, Wynn's plans for Kotai have changed again and again. I mean, he has floated ideas about bringing in, you know, other operators to go into joint partnerships, you know, whether it was, there was a time when certainly Harris was one that he had thought might want to uh, – you know, invest in a wind property, and he would run the casino and share some profit with them. Um, other operators would, could also have a, have a, uh, a casino as well, uh, or he would have the casino, but they would invest in it. Um, and, and what he's decided to do, and I think it's a sort of a reflection on the market. You know, the, the Macau authorities are concerned about um, oversupply, um, and they also don't like when a bunch of workers get hired and then have to be laid off quickly when the business doesn't materialize as fast as as had been anticipated. Um, so I think what Wynn's doing here is he's saying, look, we're going to build a really fantastic, great hotel. Um, because they have so much land, they can landscape it and make it beautiful and have much more um, space than any other place. But I would be stunned. Um, if it isn't master planned for eventually, you know, for, to at least allow the possibility of additional hotels um, as, uh, you know, time moves on and circumstances change. Yep, no, that's a very good point. Uh, and I agree, right. I would be shocked if that wasn't the case. Go ahead, go ahead Mike. Yeah, he, he's probably considering realizing his golf course redevelopment dreams on Kotai at this point um, with hotels and with very likely bodies of water, uh, considering the size of the small hotel he wants to build on on the plot of land and the setbacks. Um, you know that that wouldn't surprise me at all at this point. That's a good point. I mean, you know, since the Las Vegas golf course project, you know, he's been he was very clear that he doesn't really see um, any future United States based uh, development for the foreseeable future. Um, so, you know, that's very possible that some of those original plans that may have been slated for the Vegas complex when things were riding high in 06, 07, um, you know, maybe some of that stuff is transferred to the Kotsai project. Who knows? Well, and, and clearly their plans have changed. When they opened Win Las Vegas, He and, and they were already, you know, well into their encore design phase, um, they, I mean, for more than a year, um, they they had... Um, they only expected the Wynn Golf Course to be open for five years or so. Well, it's right. five years right now. Um, so, or the you know actually two days ago, so or a day ago. So, I yeah. think uh, I think that um, you know you're going to see the golf course hanging around for a while. Um, probably, you know, it would surprise me if it's you know still the same way it is. 15 years from now, but, you know, maybe not 10 years from now. So that, that could be a three-time longer lifespan than he had originally uh, anticipated. That's really possible. Okay, so I don't want to spend the entire show talking about when, but real quick, before we move on, um, the financials came out yesterday, and, and uh, they, you know, I guess, Jeff, real quick, can you give us an idea? How did they do? Did they... Are, does it seem like this company is recovering, is handling the recession pretty well? Well, I mean, certainly they showed they showed the weakness of the Las Vegas market. Um, Wynn is still, you know, tenaciously hanging on to the top, both in terms of, uh, you know, they're keeping, you know, their occupancy and room rates um, backed off a little bit from a year ago, but they're still at the top of the market, um, you know, and they're going to do what they need to do to keep business. So 
Um, but I would say that, you know, and, and the gaming floor, you know, they did better this year than they did last year in the first quarter. But the real eye-opener, again, is just the robust Macau market. And uh, it's really keeping the company in very, very good shape. Um, you know, they announced a dividend, uh, you know, not not many other operators are throwing uh, cash back to their shareholders right now. And I think that, uh, you know, Wynn is sort of, you know, he's enjoying his spot, you know, relatively low debt, um, you know, owning the best places in both in both both markets. A lot of his competitors just don't have um, exposure in Macau or are way over leveraged. And so, you know, Wynn's in, a, in an admirable place. And, uh you know he's uh, he's enjoying uh, enjoying that. Even even if the market in Vegas isn't where he'd like it to be, um, it's more than made up for by um, how great things are going in Macau. There's a couple right. of interesting right. things. Yeah, go ahead, Dave. Go ahead. Um, first of all, according to their financials, the average table in Macau makes about three times the average table in Las Vegas, which you know, plus the fact that they have twice the tables in Macau than they do in Vegas, you can see. That's why a lot of their money is coming from Macau. To me, the scariest thing about this is reading these financials was that this is, you know, two of the top casinos in the market are still losing money in 2010. And that's not good news for everybody, anybody, because I can guarantee you that if Wynn's losing money, no one's making a lot of money. Right. Well, MGM hasn't reported their official numbers yet, but, you know, based on their pre announcement, we got a little bit of a preview. Of of some of their troubles and you know things especially with Aria haven't gone as I would assume they've hoped uh, in the in the numbers department and we'll obviously get a lot more insight into that over the next week or so as these companies report their numbers and we'll see how the, with the where the trends lie but but that's a very good point Dave <laughs> although I I don't have the numbers in front of me and I think that they did well it may have been negative net income. Um, it was positive cash flow swinging from negative last year. And, you know, typically, uh, and, and if I remember right, when I looked yesterday afternoon, there was a fairly uh, significant dip- depreciation expense that is really the big driver in terms of reduce, you know, in terms of turning a small profit into a small loss. Um, you know, the net, and, and I think that the line in the casino business, obviously, if you have a bunch of debt, you can't afford those net those net losses. But um, the cash flow number is the key thing, and they had a, you know, they, they were up there. And I think that uh, you're, you're, you're right. It's not good for the whole market when when time when when he's the best properties are reporting a net income loss. But in terms of cash flow going up, revenue going up, um, you know, I, I think it's 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 not as bad for the market. Now, there's two things here, and Dave's written about this, and I think um, rightly so. The Baccarat business has been really keeping the gaming numbers sort of artificially, um, you know, they, they've made them look a lot better over the last half year or so, and when benefits from that more than anybody else. So if you took Baccarat out, um, 
the entire market would be just even in more of a tailspin in terms of gaming. Um, and so that's one thing. The other thing that I think is really, really interesting when you look at the Win Las Vegas numbers, Win Las Vegas and Macau numbers, look at the F&B revenue compared to room revenue. And you find another company that makes more on food and beverage than they, or not makes, that that has more revenue on the food and beverage side than, side than on the room side. That is phenomenal and uh, almost unheard of as far as I could tell. I was stunned to see that number. Um, and it really tells you the, you know, that Wynn has been able to keep that bottle service high-end business flowing in. You know, when every, a lot of other people are talking about how some of that business has dried up during the recession. Um, I think it's pretty darn interesting to see. Um, and, and it's also a reflection, frankly, on the, the crummy room economy. But, um, you know, it's pretty darn impressive, I thought, that number. The other really cool thing is they made a lot more money from entertainment than they did last year, which to me says that uh, Garth is working out pretty well. Yeah, just to be clear, you know, Wind Resorts did not have a loss this quarter. They they made a little bit of money. But if they oh, didn't yeah. have Macau, the, the, just just uh, if they didn't have Macau, the situation would have been. Uh, he was uh, talking about Win Las that, Vegas, not yeah, Win Las Vegas specifically, yeah. not Win Resort. Make sure that we're that we're clear about our uh, about our figures. Oh yeah, and they, saying, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, if it had uh, been for the depreciation and amortization, they would have made about thirty five million. Right. The quarter, as opposed to losing about thirty-five million. So yeah, exactly. was, I think there was a sixty-some million dollar. I forget, but it was a fairly significant depreciation number, and uh, you know a lot of these companies have been having to take some fairly significant write downs, and uh, you know, win Las Vegas, no exception. Moving on, uh, there once was a company named MGM Mirage. Um, there is now a company that wants to be named MGM Resorts International. Um, this story is another one of those like when moving to China where it's just like you go, oh really? Okay. Um, <laughs> it's funny though because actually we've talked about this several times. I think Jeff, especially you, have foreshadowed kind of this internal conflict that you see within the company uh, regarding their acquisition of some of their very successful properties. Um, how do you, Jeff? I'll start with you because uh, because of that history. How do you feel like this is at least partially driven by? by those sort of internal politics? You know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I can't, I, I can't say, but I, I suspect that uh, purging the Mirage name from the name is just sort of just another reflection of the triumph of the ultimate triumph of the MGM grand side of the company um, when that, you know, from the merger with Mirage Resorts. I mean, when they took over Mirage, it was really, you know, the mouse, the mouse swallowing the cat. Um, you know, it was a, it was they acquired a bigger company um, with much more successful. Um, I shouldn't say successful in in business terms, but much more prestigious um, money making properties um, in Mirage and Bellagio, and and so there was. I think there was there was always sort of a sense among the MGM grand side, and that would include um, Jim Murren, um that that that. that the folks on the outside were crediting too much of the company's, the new company's success to 
the um, you know the acquisition of Bellagio and Mirage, and indirectly crediting Steve Wynn for creating their you know two of their best properties, and certainly their best property. So, you know, in terms of do I I don't know that that's what drives drove the the change. I'm sure that you know to me if they just went to MGM Resorts, that would have been fine. You know, MGM Resorts. To me, it's just sort of a, a hybrid kind of bastardization name where you just pick, you know, a couple names out of a drum and stick them on the <laughs> ends of MGM. Um, you know, I, I've, I've long thought that airports that stick international on the end, you know, you see like, uh, you know, Birmingham, Birmingham International Airport in Alabama. Well, you know, that means that they have one flight that goes to Mexico or one flight that goes to Costa Rica or something. Who cares? I, I think it's sort of a it's a sort of a minor league thing to put international at the end of your properties, at the end of your company name. Um, just like I think the, I think the same thing for airports. Um, and, uh, you know, but but do I think that it's it, it in the big scheme of things does it matter? No, I, you know I mean it makes you know you end up having to write a longer, you know as a, a journalist have to write that longer name that that's sort of irritating for me in a you know personal way. But um, you know I would have preferred MGM Resorts if they had to get rid of Mirage. I think you know I, what my true preference would have just been to keep the name. Um, do I think that they're selling Mirage? Probably not right now, but you never know. Um, they could, and uh, it wouldn't yeah. surprise me if they did. So if they want to, if they wanted to sell it, they certainly wouldn't want to still have Mirage on their name. So um, I, mean, I, I just, I don't know. I, I think MGM Mirage was a was a fine name. Um, there now everybody has to change. They have to, you know, not not even counting the expense associated with it. I know someone that works uh, inside the organization that has that is connected to this sort of thing. And, you know, he's saying this is going to cost them millions of dollars to change. Oh, this. clearly. It, it, clearly. It's very expensive. So, you know, this is money that, you know, the shareholders probably didn't need to have spent on their behalf. Um, Dave, I'm curious because uh, for, to ask you on two levels, one, because the name has this strange connection to a certain casino company in your hometown. Um, but also, uh, you know, historically speaking, I mean, maybe maybe the historical angle isn't all that compelling, but it, it just – how often do we see these resort companies change their names? I, I can think of a couple in, in recent, recent-ish memory. Is this a big deal at all, or is this just kind of uh, a gossipy fun topic? Well, you know, usually they change their names because they open a great new property. So, you know, um, Golden Nugget Incorporated became Mirage Resorts because of Mirage, and Golden Nugget was no longer their flagship. Uh, Mandalay Resort Group, they changed that from Circus Circus Enterprises because, right. you know, Glenn Schaefer didn't want to take the picture for the cover of the annual report in front of the big top. And, you know, it's just a lot cooler. And, you know, I think plus a little bit of that, a little bit of the getting rid of Circus Circus Enterprises, it had to be really hard for anybody to take them seriously in Wall Street. You know, like, yes, I'm the CFO for Circus Circus as opposed to the CFO for Mandalay Resort Group. just sounds a lot better. So, you know, I think usually it represents some kind of – I don't want to say milestone, but some kind of milestone in the company's history. And, you know, could you say that opening city center is that kind of milestone? I think so. It's a little bit surprising that they didn't pull in any of the city center-related brands into this. You know, I think maybe that might have been a 
a missed opportunity. I don't know how well Aria Resorts would have gone over. Maybe um, because it's only half owned. Yeah, there's that too. And I think the Resorts International connection is really weird. Um, number one, because Resorts International is one of the lower performing properties in the city, you know, definitely one of the bottom two properties by any metric. Um, also, because they've just surrendered any um, ambitions they had towards staying in Atlantic City because of the uh, Division of Gaming Enforcement investigation thing. So it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm not a fan of the new name. I mean, that's just on a totally immediate reaction level. But, Mike, what do you think? I mean, do you have any thoughts on this? I mean, this is, again, kind of one of those stories that uh, it doesn't really, maybe not a lot of substance, but just kind of fun to talk about. I think they're pushing the MGM name too far. Um, MG, you know, I, I haven't been to Macau yet, and, and certainly not Detroit, but MGM Grand is, is far from their flagship. And um, personally, I mean, if they're going to be with International at the end, obviously they're, they're trying to push themselves as an international company. Um, they should have bit the bullet and, and admitted that um, Steve Wynn's Bellagio was a much more international, internationally recognized resort name. Obviously, MGM is is known uh, more for movies though than 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 resorts. But um, it, I think it was a little bit uh, a little jealous uh, jealousy on their part. Um, it's hard not but, to see that angle, right? I mean, it it just right. it. It comes off for people that watch the that watch these companies. It's hard not to at least think that, and maybe that has nothing to do with it in real in reality. Maybe it really doesn't, but it's hard not to at least think that and have that enter the conversation. Right. One one of the things that um, Dr. Dave said that made me uh, it, it made something come to mind. Um, I, I this change is similar to um, Park Place. Um, entertainment yeah. oh, yeah. changed their name to Caesars. It really wasn't based on a new acquisition. I had been bugging uh, their former CEO Tom Gallagher for years about that name. You know, I didn't think it brought anything to the table. I, I said, "Why aren't you know you buy Caesars? Why don't you use Caesars as the name?" And he just steadfastly said, "You know, it wasn't in the offing. They like Park Place, etc. You know, it's a separate corporate." corporate name, and then Wally Barr took over, and he changed the name to Caesars. Now you have Harris doing sort of the same thing, although they've delayed their plans probably for, uh, you know, the, the return of good times in Las Vegas. But it's a, you know, it's a company that had, uh, you know, bought Caesars Entertainment and announced plans to change their name to Caesars Entertainment. Um, I always, you know, I, I always thought that was sort of a mistake. Um, you know, to, uh, Caesars is a more recognized premier brand, but Harris, good or for the good or bad, is a widely known brand around the entire United States and probably, you know, not so much around the world. But Harris is a brand that, um, you know, people recognize in all those riverboat markets and you know, in tribal casinos and all those kind of things. I think what happened was in the mid middle part of the of the last decade, 
you had so much focus on how the high end was everything in the market. You had to be at the high end. You had to be dominant at the high end. And everybody wanted to be there and invest in it, even Boyd Gaming and you know everybody else. And, and uh, they thought, you know, let's go with our premier flagship brand. It'll be stronger internationally. Um, but, um, you know, sometimes these name changes need to be better thought out. And uh, I agree with I agree with Dave. Usually they're done because of a um, some kind of a big acquisition or opening. And in this case, it just doesn't make sense to me. I'll tell you what I would have changed the name to if I was them, and we were taking names of early Atlantic City casinos. I think Boardwalk <laughs> Regency is a much cooler name. <laughs> you know, and this fact that city centers built over the remains of the boardwalk. <laughs> I would have liked right. Clare Ridge International. Yeah. <laughs> Clare Ridge Resorts International. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Oh, I don't know. I think they have actually more brand equity in MGM Mirage than they maybe think they do. And um, more people know the name than maybe they think based on what I've, you know, they seem to think that nobody knows the name of the corporate parent. I don't know. I think more people do know that name than maybe they think. But whatever. They're going to they're gonna go forward, I guess. So <clears throat> forever will we forget the uh, the heritage of the organization. Um, moving on, um, station casinos, uh, I wanted to quickly talk about that situation because there was an interesting article in the sun about station basically claiming that Boyd is meddling in their bankruptcy filing, which I, you know, it's funny to think of these organizations like, oh, we're, you know, we're going to screw with you now because we can't, we're going to try and, you know, these, these two very vicious competitors, um, you know, stations in a position where our void can come in and uh, and kind of uh, mess with them. Um, is this is is there any uh, weight to these allegations? Um, is Boyd acting out of turn and and you know in any way that that wouldn't be the case if they weren't vicious vicious competitors? I don't think Boyd is acting illegally. Are they acting in a way that's to the detriment of the plans of the Fertitas? Um, and, and right. you know, certainly they are, and they have been all along. I mean, you know, if Station had their way, there'd be no companies expressing interest in those properties. <laughs> They'd be, able, you know, they would have been able to, uh, you know, announce plans to do the uh, to do this whole deal for much less of an investment. And but but you know, the uh, the the question really remains. Uh, the the key question is, what's the bankruptcy judge going to do? But um, I don't think that you know it hasn't been demonstrated to me that Boyd's doing anything untoward. They've just been expressing all along. They they would they have an interest in in all or some of the station properties. That probably frustrates the Fertitas. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if you know how it shakes out. The big the big issue that you know Boyd actually withdrew its complaint about they said that the way they've structured this sale with um the Fertitas and their uh, partners Deutsche Bank I think it's Lehman I forget who the other investment bank is but they uh they will own four of the key properties um Red Rock Sunset um Boulder and Palace along with the Wild Wild West and its big land parcel and uh what's that yeah that's right so the proposed viva. viva property and and then all the other things would be sold um i think there is a land parcel on, on south las vegas boulevard that they would that the fertitas and their partners would keep as well but um boyd was 
worried that the way they set that up was that the property company would keep all of the boarding pass uh, slot card you know stuff and they, they would they would keep sort of the intellectual property rights of station casinos which they said would you know sort of strip the guts out of the connectivity between all these other properties now the truth is that Boyd wouldn't be using those anyway. They would be using their own, you know, Boyd, um, their own Boyd card. So, you know, they would have to just, you know, they would have to bite the bullet on the loss of that connectivity. I think Boyd said, you know, let's not have this peripheral fight. Let's have a let's have a fight over whether this process is fair and whether um, we're and and he they can let the creditors carry the water for them on that. So. The real, you know, the thing is, how's the judge going to let this stand up, you know, and, you know, how's the judge going to let it play out? I think the real interesting thing that's going to happen is if the judge lets the uh, property company thing go forward where the Fertitas and their and Deutsche Bank own those um, five properties plus the land parcel on South Las Vegas Boulevard, if they let that happen and, and the way and they did it in a, in a way makes it difficult for the judge, it's sort of like Deutsche Bank foreclosed on those properties because they have real estate mortgages and on, on all of them. And then, and then they invited Fertitas to come in and operate it. And they required them to put, I forget how much money, but a lot of money in and then, and then take a substantial ownership position. Um, if, if the judge allows that, um, and he probably will, the question is how much really are, are Deutsche Bank and the Fertitas and their other partners willing to throw into a bid for the remaining properties? And I think that that's sort of X. They have this stocking horse bid that they've proposed. If the judge accepted it, accepts it, you'll probably see, you know, the, there will be bidding on it. I think Boyd will top it. And the question is, how much are the Fertitas and Deutsche Bank willing to throw in so that um, they can maintain control of the property. It's going to come down to who actually is willing to invest in those 13 properties more. I think the Fertitas are positioned well so that if Boyd pays, is willing to pay more, that they have a solid core of properties spread around the valley. Um, and, and that would also mean that Boyd would have to, you know, work out deals with the Greens funds and, and, and sort of, you know, they have a, a group of lesser properties, the, the Fiestas and some nutty other properties. So it would be a very tough, tough, uh, it's going to be a tough dance to see how this plays out. I just, I can't believe the balls the Fertitas have. I mean, this whole thing. The whole the way the whole thing is unfolding is like yeah we want to keep everything even though you know but we're gonna our own investors are gonna take a big haircut and just the way it is we kind of expect that we'll end up on the other side owning everything that we did before wiping out all the shareholder value I mean it's just like wow these guys really uh, I mean and I don't really fault them for that I mean it's just it, they just uh, want what they want and they're well it's more than wiping out shareholder value it's wiping out unsecured um, you know unsecured debt. And it's and and the real surprising thing is the confidence that Deutsche Bank obviously has in the Fertitas. You know they've said you know Deutsche Bank could have you know just said well no pay us back or we want this property auctioned on the open market. But Deutsche Bank wants to stay in business with the Fertitas. So yeah, I think there is some chutzpah there. 
on on the Fertitta's part, you know, given such a, a close shave to all the unsecured creditors. But, you know, it, it is the bankruptcy system at work. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 that frequently is a pretty ugly process. And there's no, it's not a sure thing that they end up with all the properties. Boyd could very easily trump them in bidding, but I, I think it's going to be pretty hard fun. I just, I still, I, the whole thing still makes me look at Colony Capital and stuff, man. <laughs> they're the ones that are taking this huge, huge Absolutely. hit. They seem like semi-okay with it. I mean, they're just like, yeah, well, whatever. I mean, I guess they figured that, you know, they should something is better than nothing, but I mean they and, and they're not willing to put more money in. I mean, clearly, if they wanted to put more money in, they probably could, um, but I you know they clearly don't want to. Yeah. Anyway, interesting to see how it all shakes out. Um, talking about uh, this is going to be this is a fairly Las Vegas centric episode, but the Rio. Of course, there are uh, there are rumors once again that uh, the Rio is up for sale. Harrah's bought the Rio. I don't know when was that, like 1996 or something like that. Um, and a property that was doing quite well. They managed to come in, and um, for whatever reason, it haven't has never really done quite as well ever since. Um, and maybe for sale. So the Rio. Many people look at Harrah's and they say the Rio is kind of non-core. It was a big acquisition for them at the time. But since then, obviously, they've gobbled up so much of the strip that it's, uh, you know, sort of off by itself and it still has uh, a lot going for it, but has maybe not gotten the attention that Rio lovers would have hoped since uh, the, the company's focus has shifted to the strip. So is this, I guess my question is, is this for real this time? We've heard this before. Does anybody know? I'll believe it when it happens. You know, we've been hearing about this property for so long and... I'll believe that when it happens, but I, you got to wonder why Colony Capital will be looking to get to buy another casino. You know, yeah. it's really not working out well for them. Uh, you know, I mean, it, I was going to say the price they paid for it. I, I think they bought it from Tony Marnell for a little less than nine hundred million, um, right? Like eight hundred eighty-eight million, if I remember correctly, something around. Uh, that. I think that's right. Yep, exactly. And and, uh, and when they bought it, you know, they certainly pulled. Um, you know, the cash flow out of it to justify, you know, if they sold it, if they sold it for half a billion dollars, um, you know, they need the, maybe they need the money to help them uh, give more of their uh, bondholders uh, incentive to push back even more their debt even more. Um, I'm not sure. But, you know, they've clearly identified where, you know, their this uh, extended strip area they have, plus the little appendage across the street at Caesar's Palace. But they have that long swath of uh, strip, um, strip front property, um, and behind the strip um, property, and so you know it's easy to see why Rio would no longer be a core asset. When they bought, when Harris bought the Rio, all they had in Las Vegas at the time was Harris, and so right. you know they bought the Rio. They thought you know this will be a you know a youthful, fun place to even fur- more you know further entice their nationwide customers to come to Las Vegas and it really did serve its purpose well the company made a couple big you know additions since then and Rio is no longer as integral to what they're doing 
you know, Harris isn't a company that's going to sell it at a fire sale price, though. I don't think they need. This isn't a Treasure Island sale where they had where MGM Mirage had to had to bring in cash somehow. Um, I think that if they can get, if somebody's willing to pay them a number that they think is fair, they're going to do it. But they're not. It's not going to be a fire sale. So anybody who's talking, I've seen some comments on different blogs and in different newspaper articles where people are speculating. million. That's ridiculous. The thing throws off cash, and it is an incredibly big chunk of land. Um, I think it's 70 or 80 acres. It's just huge. Um, And so for anybody to think that they're just going to dump it at a fire sale, I think is ridiculous. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I, I haven't stayed at the Rio in years. It kind of fell off my radar to some degree as far as places that I wanted to visit. But, um, yeah, there was a time when it was when it was really, really, really happening. And I know – I even heard a rumor, and I don't know if this is true, but that the Marnells actually had made an offer to Harris about a year ago to try and uh, – to try and get it back, they they still see potential there. I don't know if that's true, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, totally discount that idea. I could at least imagine that being true. The Rio the Rio when it opened and for a few years after that, they had the reputation for having you know the hottest cocktail waitresses. It had a very you know it was sort of the palms of its day on a bigger scale, especially after the new tower. But um, you know they had a lot of good. Uh, you know, they had hip nightclubs, good restaurants, but, you know, so much of the investment on the Strip and at the Palms and at the Hard Rock has really, you know, taken some of that market away from the Rio and, and quite frankly, its affiliation with Harrah's. You know, that's not exactly, you know, they're probably the most, the Harrah's client here, the Harrah's database probably isn't, you know, the, the hippest collection of folks who attend casino properties. So, I have I have another topic. It actually wasn't on the list that I gave you guys. Um, but while we still, Mike, I know you have to go. I but actually, I really I'd be interested to hear from you on this. Um, let me quickly fill you in. Um, I was in Las Vegas last week. I noticed, and this I actually I I knew the advance that these were there because I had heard from other people. There are signs up at both the Luxor and the Excalibur. Uh, when you enter the property, there's a sign that says any photography in any area or videography is expressly forbidden, prohibited. Um, you know, there's been a long-standing um, sort of unofficial rule that, that uh, photography in the casino is frowned upon for privacy and, you know, other other reasons that are understandable. Uh, but this goes several steps beyond that. So I saw this sign, and I, I contacted MDM Mirage, and I had some questions for them. I was, you know, I wanted to know why they had this policy, if there was something that triggered this, um, if it was uh, if we should expect this at other properties um, that they own, because as as far as I know right now, it's just those two. Um, whether it included their own um, their own employees, like for instance, their social media team, are they forbidden from taking photos on the property as well, since that stuff has become more and more common. Um, so I, they were nice enough to get back to me and really give me a good point-by-point, blow-by-blow. And I was also curious if people that were on vacation that were not able to take pictures of their vacation inside the hotel were um, how they, if they'd gotten complaints, if there was, if people were unhappy about the policy change, um, especially the Luxor, the lobby is a heavily photographed area. Um, it, it, uh, you see photos there all the time. So um, they were nice enough to really get back to me point by point. 
Um, to, I'm going to write a, a post about this, but to sort of summarize, uh, the company said that they don't plan to uh, – well, I shouldn't say that. I asked their response. I said, should we expect this to other properties? And the response was, none of our other properties have enacted this policy. Right. So that's no guarantee that they won't. But I was just kind of trying to figure out how far does this go? Are, are we going to be banning photos in the Bellagio Conservatory? Um, and the, the company is – they say that they're taking this – uh, they're taking this stance due to privacy issues, and they specifically cited the – I thought this was interesting – cited the design of the Luxor itself, saying open-air hallways um, and guest room entrances can be viewed from the lobby. Thus, uh, it is a specific privacy concern. So I obviously have feelings about this myself. Um, as someone that's taking, taken thousands of photos of Las Vegas casinos, I feel like – um, now, I certainly the, – the privacy concern is not lost on me. I definitely understand this issue, um, though I will admit I have a limited amount of sympathy. If we're talking about you know, uh, politic, political figures that are found gambling millions of dollars in the Bellagio Casino when they're not supposed to be there, I don't have a lot of sympathy for that situation, um, though you know, I realize that's a slippery slope. Um, I, I feel like, to some degree, the photos that I publish and that other people publish are are promoting these properties. They're, they generate some level of interest. People like to see these things. They remind themselves of their trips. They get excited about going. It seems like there's a lot of positive that comes from it, uh, while uh, well, maybe mitigating some of the negative. But you know, I just I worry that this policy will uh, will catch on and we'll see it other places, and then all of a sudden we won't be able to take pictures inside any areas of any of these resorts, which I think would be honestly a real, a real loss. Um, so I don't know, Mike, I know you've taken photos. You've probably viewed a jillion photos. What do you think about this kind of a policy? I mean, well, do you feel, do you feel like their, their, their need to, for, to protect guest privacy outweighs all these other concerns? It might be because Luxor and Mandalay have appeared on hot chicks with douchebags.com too often. And, uh, they're trying to stop that from, uh, from, that publicity, um, but I, I, you know, I, I, I'm in the same boat as you. Um, you know, Luxor still, still uh, pushes uh, that having, you know, I'm pretty sure still the world's largest atrium, and and you know, if you're not going to allow your guests to photograph that, that's that's just ridiculous. Um, I will say there are areas of casinos that I don't mind. Getting uh, where photography being banned, Bellagio's Conservatory, one of them, because you can't actually even walk through it anymore because of uh, pictures right. being taken everywhere. Um, but uh, I, I, I'm, I'm with you uh, on this. I'd be extremely, um, extremely upset uh, if that would happen. And it's not like I take too, too many photos um, myself, but. But I do enjoy seeing other people's your your photographs, uh, other people's people who are um, more interested in, in design aspects. Um, it could be a real blow for those of us who you know follow Las Vegas um, uh, via the internet. Well, it's you know it's uh, I, it's funny because I actually I I if you look at the photos in my photo library out of like however many photos are in there, probably 90% have no people in them, which is, you know, the opposite of most people's idea of a good way to photo document your life. 
uh, I'm constantly trying to get a picture without people in it, which is which is grant you know obviously not not the sort of normal normal way to do things. I don't know. I I I agree with that. I mean, I just feel like it would be a, a big shame. But I, Dave, I'm interested to hear from you as a historian. You know, you're trying to document the state of things. How does this impact the future? If if you know the future. The collections, uh, the collections person down the road doesn't have a rich historical background to draw from. Yeah, I think it'll definitely cut out a, a slice of it. You know, definitely people will still know what the casinos look like, but they won't have this kind of uh, <clears throat> social history, social historical document that's constantly being created on the web. I think the funny thing is, is that somewhere somebody made the calculation and said that more people will come to Excalibur and Luxor if they can be secure in the fact that no one is going to take their picture that will let people prove that they were at Excalibur and Luxor. So I think that's kind of yeah. funny. Like, uh, I, I asked if it was a proper, I asked if it was a property decision or a corporate decision, mm-hmm. and they said that it was definitely made um, by the property staff. But yeah, go ahead, Jeff. I think that um, in terms of the way technology is moving, I think that despite whatever these rules are, people are going to continue to take millions of photographs at properties, whether they have those rules or not. Um, just so, you know, I mean, whether phones have cameras, I mean, all kinds of, it's just so easy to take photos and there's so many people around and so few security people. And, um, so I, I just think that, you know, it, it, the people it impacts the most are guys like you Hunter and the folks who like very out in the open are walking around taking photos of lots of stuff, very likely to be seen. And if you're taking pictures of, you know, the physical facilities, so, you know, it's the kind of thing that makes it makes security people wonder, hey, is he taking photos of our surveillance? Is he casing the joint? You know, I mean, not that that's what you're doing, but it certainly is going to attract security attention more than, you know, three Japanese tourists standing in a line in the conservatory while the fourth member of their party takes their photo in front of a giant flower. Um, you know, and and so I think that technology is going to continue to allow the general public to take the kind of photos that they want to take with minimal security interference, signs or not. Um, I think that folks like you will be greatly inconvenienced, and that's too bad because I think it's uh, very interesting to put folks who have an interest in the business. And I think that, you know, the, the idea about protecting people. It's sort of a long-standing thing in the business. You know, when you look at the folks who are staying in a casino, in a casino hotel, you're probably more likely than at most other kinds of hotels to have people staying there with, like, non-spouses, whether they're hired for the evening or not. Um, and, you know, I think that, and you mentioned the politicians, um, you know, they want to protect their, the casinos want to protect their customers, whether it's a politician, whether it's a famous athlete, you know, they, 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 a customer wants to have some expectation that just because they go play, um, they're not going to be, uh, you know, they're not going to be, you know, in somebody's, uh, you know, Twitter photo or, or Facebook page or something. So I understand all of that. that. I definitely understand that. And I, I just wish that there was some way to strike a balance that wasn't an all out ban. 
I mean, my, well, my I think goal... the way to do it is for you and for people who have legitimate artistic photography needs to make arrangements with someone on 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 the property, you know, and they probably, you know, depending upon who you are, I think that those, you know, they, they will figure out a way to allow you to do what you're doing. Um, if, you know, you make an explicit agreement not to include people in your photos and stuff like that, I think that they would be uh, they would be amenable. And, you know, a lot of it, too, is if you're, you know, are you making money off of this? Are you selling these pictures? Are you taking the pictures to represent something, you know, like promoting a product? And to me, the the real funny thing about it is, you know, we know all of those millionaires and high-ranking politicians who go to Excalibur and Luxor and have affairs and stuff like that, right? That's who they're – it's like, oh, come on. It's – it's it's the Excalibur and Luxor, you know, profitable yeah. casinos, but not really a dense intrigue. Unless I think I, I, I'm missing out. Yeah, Jeff, go ahead. No, no, I was gonna. I I think Dave's Dave's right on the place where those kind of folks are are obviously not Excalibur. I mean, maybe at the LAX nightclub or something at you know Cat House or something in Luxor, but. Um, almost certainly not at Excalibur, and and yeah. you know now it could be because those are two adjacent properties. The uh, the property presidents may you know have been comparing notes, and you know right. they're connected by the tram. So you know maybe they just decided to do it in tandem. Um, did you take a look at Mandalay Bay? Was did Mandalay Bay have they're not, rules? They're not doing it. No. Yeah, no, they're not included yet. And and huh. you know that was really one of the cruxes of my questions was. You know, why these two? Uh, is this a trial of some sort? Is this going to be moving beyond this to other places? And, you know, they were they were noncommittal on really answering those questions. But right now it's just those two problems. Could it be to protect um, – I know this is ridiculous. Could it be to protect, protect the staff? Because um, last time I was at Excalibur, which was maybe last July or so walking through, I mean, there were – I was surprised to see, like, you know, go-go dancer pits everywhere. Um, I don't know. I mean, obviously, you know, they're, they're, they're not shy to have that occupation. But with, with Luxor's entire casino level just being having more bars than even Encore, um, <laughs> practically, I'm, I'm wondering if, um, you know, maybe they're, they're protesting um, photographs of themselves appearing on the Internet that they would – Rather not, yeah. not be on, you know. That's an interesting point. I hadn't really considered that. Um, but, you know, I, I, it's funny you mentioned that go-go dancer thing because MJ Mirage seems to be doing that in several properties now. I was at Mandalay Bay last week, and they literally have, like, this catwalk thing in the middle of the casino with – I mean, you almost feel like you're in, a, in like, a strip club. I mean, it, it, it's almost embarrassing. You kind of, I mean, you're sitting there, and there's this, like, pretty much, like, half-naked woman, like, rising around. And it's just like, wow, really? This is just right out in the middle of a casino floor. I, it was just, and apparently they're doing that at Monte Carlo and other places. So, you know, maybe there's something to that. I don't know. Yeah, you know, that hit me in, in uh, Monte Carlo. I just was going through there, and I just heard the music. And I'm thinking, wow, this is pretty, you know, kind of jazzy music for Monte Carlo in an afternoon. And then you see the pit there, and it's like, whoa, um, what's, what's the deal with this? So, Boy, I thought I, mean, I thought I saw a guy. I saw a guy putting dollar bills in the girl's like little <laughs> outfit. I'm not kidding. I mean, I, that's crazy. 
<laughs> I thought that Diablo's Cantina was a was enough bastardization of Monte Carlo, but that you know that place used to be the most placid sort of you know almost stately big rectangular casino. It just had no no real electric vibe, and so I'm sure that's why they're doing it. But you know when you look back, you had the the Beaver or I'm sorry the dealer no no what are they the Bevertainers at the Rio were the first. The Bevertainers, then Planet Hollywood sort of upped the ante with their uh, go-go dancers in the bar next to the casino. And, you know, quite frankly, I, you know, I, w- I went in there one night and was going to play uh, shoot some dice, and I felt very uncomfortable there with my girlfriend. I mean, I'm standing like, you know, I don't know, 20 feet away from some go-go dancer. And, and I mean, maybe, you know, you know, young guys or young, you know, young, the young folks enjoy that. But, you know, it's just not something that I'm typically going to do is go hang out with go-go dancers. Um, so, you know, I think that um, for MGM Mirage, they've obviously made a decision about the strata, you know, how their um, players stratify. I, I would be surprised for them to do it at the places that really have the big money, because those are typically the places with, you know, older, at least older men. Um, maybe not older men and older women, but at least older men, because um, that's where the money is in the casino business. So be surprised if you see it at Bellagio or Aria or, you know, I don't know if there's any other place that could be protected from that, but at least those two. Yeah. We'll see. All right, well, I've I've kept you guys uh, over, and I know, Mike, you have to go. So I think we're going to call it for the day. Um, I wanted to say extra special thanks to everybody for being here. Um, especially you, Mike, for being a great guest. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your Friday. Um, let's go around the table, and uh, if you want to direct people to something, you guys can feel free. Um, Dr. Dave, uh, anything you want to promote today? Yeah, check me out on Twitter at UNLV Gaming. And if, for those that haven't been reading it, Dr. Dave is, uh, you know, now a regular, uh, excuse me, a regular contributor to uh, Vegas Seven, um, the new weekly magazine in Las Vegas. You definitely should check it out. It's uh, a lot of good stuff, so I would recommend that to anybody that's a, a, a fan of the show. Um, Mr. Jeff Simpson, how about you? I'm available by email at SimpsonLasVegas at yahoo.com, and I would also say that um, you should definitely check out. Um, Dave's uh, Dave's blog was so, a lot of interesting stuff. Not always gaming related, but very interesting. I, I liked his uh, Henry Clay book review. I had uh, finished a year ago reading an Andrew Jackson book, and so um, I'm I'm going to read that Henry Clay book. And so I appreciate that review. Um, Doctor Dave's site is a great site. Something I check every day. Yeah, diascast.com, a great site. I haven't read the Henry Clay book, the Andrew Jackson book though. If it's maybe the same one that I read. Uh, which I can't remember the name of right now, but uh, was uh, was very good. I'm assuming how many Andrew Jackson books were published in the last couple of years? <laughs> it was Probably the bestseller from last year. Yeah, that's so the one that I'm thinking of as well, which I really enjoyed as a as a history nut. Um, so uh, last but not least, Mike, where can people track you down? Um, I'm on Twitter, twitter.com/slash/mike underscore e, um, and you'll see me contributing occasionally to VegasTripping.com. Uh, Yes, indeed. Uh, Mr. Chuck Monster couldn't be with us today, but uh, he's taking a well-deserved vacation. 
And um, if you're looking for me, you can find me at ratevegas.com. And for those that don't know, I have an app on the iPhone and on the iPad. They're both called Vegas Mate. They're both available now. So you can go ahead and check those out. Lots more to come in that department. But thanks again, guys. Have a great weekend. Have a good one, and good luck to whoever wins the iPad. <laughs> yep, next week, next Thursday. <laughs>